welcome everybody to the third episode of the Cephalo Show. We have a great show for you today. Um, I am joined today by our co-host Ludwig Oberg. Welcome. Hey guys. Thanks. Hi. And we have Matt on the technicals. Matt. Hi. Good afternoon. Good. Thank you. <laughs> and on the background, for those who haven't noticed, is uh, King's Day. I am originally Dutch, living in Sweden, and I wanted to give a shout out to my uh, fellow countrymen in the Netherlands that uh, have not been able to do celebrated like it's behind me. Normally, this is the Amsterdam Canal. This is what it normally looks like uh, now. And uh, today they have everybody inside where uh, they had to uh, just uh, make contact via video cam and they had a whole whole show online. Uh, but enough about that. Uh, we get to the presentation. Matt, thank you. And there we go on our socials. So for those on the live stream today, um, please post your questions whenever you have them. We will make sure to uh, bring them to the show and ask the guest or you know to any of us uh, and answer it. Um, we are on Twitter at Cefalo AB. We're on YouTube at Cefalo, Facebook.com slash Cefalo. And we're also uh, as a podcast uh, as the Cefalo Show on Spotify. So find us wherever you find us. And, uh, we'll try to uh, uh, describe what's happening for those who are just listening. So let's go to the show. We have a guest, uh, Oliver and Oram. Uh, welcome to the show, Oliver. He's the founder of Chainvine.com and blockchain, and uh, he's a DLT expert, distributed ledger technology. Hi guys, Welcome. how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm enjoying lockdown in Stockholm. <laughs> so you made it out of London. I normally reside uh, in London, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. So I'm between here in London. Um, I made it out of a few places actually before I got here. It seemed like everywhere was closing down in the end. Yeah, but I guess uh, out of all the countries in the world, you picked the right one uh, to uh, to be trapped. Yeah, I, I think uh, Sweden is uh, perhaps the best choice in this case. <laughs> Indeed. And then just uh, out of curiosity, because I'm sure we're going to get questions, the, what does the N stand for in Oliver Oram? Okay, I'm going to give you guys a choice now. Guess. Yeah, okay. Um, Nicholas. I was going to guess that. Too. No, <laughs> I actually changed changed it by depot to node. <laughs> Very evasive answer. Okay, we'll 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 call you Oliver Node Oren. Uh, let's get, it, yeah. let's get going. Um, so we'll start with the market update as usual and the latest news, and then we'll jump in interview with um, Oliver. So last week, this is what the picture was. The week before, we saw all, all red. Uh, last week, the particularly Ethereum did really well. And this week, uh, we see another jump for Ethereum, but you see Bitcoin catching up with 12.4% uh, increase. Any thoughts on the price, gentlemen? I think it's interesting. Uh, we talked a couple of weeks back about the correlation with the stock market. And if you look mm. at kind of how the stock market has been doing, it has also been going up recently. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if we get a financial recession, if this correlation will, will keep or if it will break. So that will be interesting to see. Uh, I, I think it so actually just Ludwig, that's going to um, kind of decide where the depressions are. Uh, sorry, I didn't use the word depression, recessions are um, uh, deepest. 
you're, you're yeah. a little bit ahead of uh, your thinking with depression <laughs> recession. <laughs> I've been reading, sorry. Yeah, oof, oof, brutal, brutal. Um, yeah, I th I, we, we discussed it in the first show and the second show, and, and I guess the jury's still out on, on whatever we're going to see next that, with the stock market. Um, and now you have the oil price, of course, tanking to below zero, which was also an interesting turn of events. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts on that, Ludwig? I just think it's interesting how we're seeing that more and more uh, assets are getting a negative pricing, that they are no longer an asset, they're actually a liability. We're seeing bonds becoming a liability, having negative yeah. interest rates. Now oil, basically a lot of <laughs> different assets are turning out not to be assets, but something you don't want to hold, something you get less money for in the future, which is a, we're living in a very weird time right now. Um, Indeed, Indeed yeah. we do. And then for crypto, we you know we get uh, people to show the uh, rainbow chart, the, the inf infamous rainbow chart, uh, based on the logarithmic scale and and connected to the halving. And we discussed it, I think, on the first show, and again on the second show. And of course, it's the main event of this year, the halving. And we're very close. And this is the rainbow chart that uh, that we're seeing. What, what do you guys think about the rainbow chart? Yeah, I will I mean, play out. <laughs> it's it's a nice uh, um, it's a nice chart, but I'm not sure. You know, it's probably more uh, correlation than causation. Uh, you can put anything on log and just uh, adjust some numbers and make it look good. But I mean, it, it, the having is interesting, though. I, I it doesn't seem like it has been any like clear connection because usually like it takes quite some time afterwards for anything to happen. If you look at the two first halvings like nothing happened in the first year or so so it's mm. hard to say that a halving leads to a price increase but maybe in the long term it will i mean it has beautiful colors so there's it, that that it does it looks very attractive you know good to retweet and, and like on twitter you know there's, all, there's always this disclaimer uh on all financial uh uh, uh products is like uh results of the past don't mean anything for the future right yeah. so <laughs> That goes for this. We don't give advice, just to be clear. There's no financial advice given in this show, <laughs> in case we hadn't said it out loud. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, it, of course, theoretically, the supply gets halved, so there's less supply. And if the demand stays the same, you would see naturally some price uh, going upwards. I, I did. I do see more uh, articles now about Ethereum and Ethereum's uh, 2.0 release and the halving. Uh, sorry, not the halving, but the um, the staking uh, possibilities with that. Do you, do you think that Ethereum will be able to outpace Bitcoin as it has over the past week, uh, weeks? Because this is the first couple of moves that we've seen over the, over the last month or so where Ethereum actually took the lead, which historically is always Bitcoin first and then we're seeing Ethereum. I mean, I personally am quite skeptical to the whole staking debacle because it's okay. always been like 18 months away you know, TM. And then once 18 months, like, oh, no, we're going to have to push up that because uh, this idea didn't work out. But we're working on staking 3.0. That'll be in 18 months. And it has been like that for probably like four times now. So I, I need but, to get them, you know, see them getting it out of the door, uh, so to speak. Just. But isn't it then, already in phase zero that staking is uh, part of it? Yeah, but it's it's staking, I think, combined with mining. So they haven't really let go, you know, it's kind of training wheels at the moment. And training wheels, it doesn't really mean much because you don't know what the actual security is of the system. As long as you keep having some proof of work, they need to kind of let that go if they're actually going to test it for real. Mm. Um, 
that it will be probably some time out. I, I don't know what is phase one scheduled for now. I don't actually know. Oliver? Reorganizing. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I was just, um, I'm having a slight technical um, difficulty here. So if I disappear from the screen for one second, please forgive me. Um, but I, I pretty much with Ludwig there, there's a lot of them, um, a lot of states flying around with Ethereum, perhaps more than a Hammer House of Horror Dracula on. Um, so they will need to get over the staking and, and get on with things. But uh, I think it is a bit surprising that they're getting ahead of Bitcoin there. But I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't see that in the long run. Just a personal opinion. All right, let's not read into it just yet. Let's move on to the news section, the latest news. So last week we spoke about Purse.io getting uh, shut down. And this week, to some surprise, and my surprise, uh, they actually reversed that news and said, we're not closing down and they've seen a lot of interest. Um, I, I saw the video and I think Coindesk came with the video of Roger Ver that was very positively speaking about Purse.io and it's part of the, the old narrative, the original narrative of, of Bitcoin as cash and using it for spending and that it's a part of the infrastructure that not should uh, get lost. Um, so I, the initial rumors I think were that he may be with Bitcoin.com behind an acquisition. And then I think yesterday there was another video of him that didn't clearly uh, state anything, but he did announce the same that we're doing now, the news that they're not going to shut down. Uh, what do you guys think? I mean, I think it's unfortunate if they get shut down because they're one of the earlier and kind of biggest ways of uh, both spending and acquiring Bitcoin. Um, I think it makes sense for Bitcoin.com to buy them. They're kind of pushing into that narrative of, of merchant mm. use and transactional use of, of Bitcoin with Bitcoin Cash. Yeah. Um, and Roger Ver sure has a history of, <laughs> of backing and buying a lot of different companies. So I'm sure he has the money to do it. Um, well, and, and first have always been pretty uh, open to Bitcoin Cash. I think they also uh, create uh, some technology for, for Bitcoin Cash, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. And, 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 and they wrote no, a note or, or some soft note or soft note software or something like that that they wrote for it. I don't particularly remember what they did for Bitcoin Cash, do either one of you? I don't remember, but uh, I do recognize that. If somebody listens in, please <laughs> post it in the comments and we'll we'll bring it back up. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's an interesting uh, development. We'll see who uh, ends up acquiring them. And it will yeah. be great to see it come uh, stay alive and uh, hopefully flourish in the future. Then another follow-up. So we've had like two, two shows in a row that we have a hacking story where millions were lost. Uh, so we'll have a slightly more positive angle uh, uh, this week where... It was announced that V-Force, the hacker, actually returned the $25 million. Well, actually not precisely $25 million because he had already moved the funds around and I guess in the process lost a whole bunch of money. Um, <laughs> and as I understood it, the, uh, the hacker probably um, felt the heat from the authorities that were after him and maybe returning the funds was a way to uh, maybe not end up in jail for a very long time. So this is, the, uh, this is from Etherscan, the screenshot for those who are listening in. It shows that one single transaction here uh, was for about ten million dollars, uh, as in um, and in ETH, I think it was a sixty, uh, like fifty-nine thousand ether that he sent in one transaction back, and depleted the the account that he had from on April twentieth. So, good news for. I mean, what a ch what a change yeah. of heart there, Frank. You know, like suddenly, <laughs> like uh, you know, I'm just going to give back ten million today because I really didn't mean to do that, and I'm sorry. 
<laughs> by the way, I kind of screwed up and lost thousands and thousands in the process of getting it back to you. <laughs> it's, it's like I, you always wonder what is the riskier move, returning all the money or just using the money to, to, to buy your very <laughs> expensive, expensive lawyer. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, but uh, I mean, for D four, it's obviously a great um, uh, turnaround, and hopefully, uh, uh, it will give the the team uh, some uh, well, not credibility. I guess they have to work a little bit hard for that. For that, uh, but earn it back. Least, you know, earn it back yeah. and uh, give them a chance to to do what they were setting out to do. So it's. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm, you should send them the slide of the rainbow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like they can have DeForce next week. DeForce Rainbow. Up we go. Right. Well, the, the good thing about the Rainbow chart is, if it plays out, then whatever losses they had, they will likely earn it back, and they will have plenty <laughs> of funding. So you know, fingers crossed that it will play out. They end up having more capital than they would ever need. Um, and then there, the, the they had this little fun. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, Ponzi scheme, this is not our words, but the, I saw this in, in the newsletter of uh, Chainalysis, and uh, also there were some tweets about this, CXC. So they have a website called cxcblock.com, and where they claim to have 1.8 billion that is already, I think, raised or uh, in, in, the, in the market. Um, and I think who was a Dovey Wen who said on uh, Twitter that it was more 5,000 Bitcoin, still a huge amount. Uh, I, I couldn't help but put that picture of the cat with zero risk, BTC my, soul mining in it. It's a really, you know, there's a lot of interesting things that are on their website. So this is another uh, poster of, of that website. And they describe their project as civilized fire of discrete universe. Uh, the greatest of the CXC consensus is that it can compete with the cool cosmic entropy law and make the development of commercial civilization lasting and orderly. And we're going to Oliver now to explain exactly what that means. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think, you know, I think it's as they state, you know, I did a lot of analysis here and I kind of get where they're going. There's, there's on, on the sixth page, they're, oh, they're always on the wave, which means they're <laughs> always on the way. And they're always <laughs> leading the reform of the innovation of the market. And they've got a really cool picture of a rocket. And they've Can got a cool picture. Do, do, do we have, oh, this is their website, yes. So there is a cool rocket there. Let's click on the rockets. <laughs> what does it do? It's just um, like in the 80s, you click on a rocket and something happens. This is cool. early ICO times where exciting projects <laughs> are being launched. With it, inspiring. It like if, if you took all the ICO guys and put it into an AI, like a machine learning system, and then it made a website. That's kind of how <laughs> the website reads. <laughs> just makes no sense, but a lot of fancy words. But there is this a is just like a work of art. Yeah, this is after BitCollusion, trillion market value, freed itself from the re restraint of Bitcoin value increase. What <laughs> yeah, that which, you really want, which you really don't need and you don't want. Free yourself from making more money by buying our Ponzi scheme. <laughs> well, at the off chance that they have wonderful lawyers, I will not say that it's a Ponzi scheme, but that everybody who uh, is investing in CXE should take a close look at their white paper and read up on other yeah. cryptocurrencies and compare notes. Um, <laughs> so maybe leave it at that for, for this news update and we'll move to the next, oh no, sorry, we have another article. How could I forget as a Dutch, uh, <laughs> to keep it in the Dutch trend with orange colors. <laughs> um, so last week we spoke about the China Chinese uh, uh, 
uh, uh, central bank um, go for the um, digital one and making uh, strides there and showing the interface. And this week, actually, uh, the Dutch central bank uh, came out with a report, I think, of 45 pages. We'll put the link in the show notes saying that they're ready to play a leading role with digital euro. And in the paper, they have this little picture, which, sorry for those watching the stream, isn't Dutch, but as a Dutch, I can translate it for you. Um, here, the goals are stated as uh, maintaining uh, the the money for public good. Oh, I think we lost Frank there for a second. I guess there is some internet uh shut it down in Stockholm because we not only lost Frank but all year well. <laughs> also so we are we are awaiting their comeback and I will be temporary host in here um yeah I, I think the, the I guess I'll, I'll talk a bit about the article that Frank was talking about please do uh, yeah it was the Dutch central bank that was announcing that they were trying to push and lead the development of a digital euro so kind of a similar trend as we've been seeing with this kind of central bank coins or or um, central bank issued stable coins. I even have have article, article about nice. that here. Let's put it on the screen. Uh, so that says that that's uh, today. There is this Dutch King's Day, right? Yeah. So, it's like a synchronized so holiday for synchronized. And meanwhile, we have Oliver back. Welcome back, Oliver. What happened? I, I don't know. I think it was a big story, and it just just overheated things. So, <laughs> yeah, because both you and Frank just disappeared from the stream, and now we are still waiting for Frank and talking about the Dutch central bank ready to play a leading role with the digital euro. Any comments on that? I think I think it's pretty interesting. Sorry, Ludwig. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, happened. Sorry. Sorry, guys. Hey, Frank. I don't know. I think it's. <laughs> It's, it's interesting because I guess it leads on. I, I got a paper. We got um, something from the Bank of England on the March to 2020 um, this year about uh, central bank digital currencies. So you're seeing a lot more excitement in this area, just a lot more movement, I suppose. It's interesting within the EU because uh, I wonder what the rules say about uh, a specific nation creating a euro-based uh, currency because mm. it's the ECB who issues the euro. Uh, but then each nation has their own, can have their own versions of the euros, physical euros, that is. So I wonder kind of what the regulation is around a specific nation creating a euro back token, if it needs to be approved by all all uh, members of the euro. Or um, It's quite interesting. Then in that case, uh, the UK or Sweden has some advantages because they don't have that kind of uh, association with other countries, which needs uh, regulatory approval from a central body. Um, I did, I, can can I, everybody see me now? <laughs> can you guys see, can see me see again? Oh, no, 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 stop screen. Oh, stop screen. Uh, everything is going smooth, which is exactly how we planned it. Sorry for the technical difficulties. Uh, I'm I'm back on screen. I, I don't know where I dropped off, but I assume I was just in the middle of making no point whatsoever. You guys uh, uh, had a good point. Yeah, I was just, just discussing a bit. Uh, interesting to see them leaving uh, the way. So interesting to see how kind of the eurozone will handle this kind of digital central bank currencies, considering they're kind of a, a monetary union. 
And I mm. wonder how kind of that will affect them leading the way. Uh, a smaller country like Sweden is uh, probably an easier way of pushing kind of these kind of big decisions forward than mm. a, a whole a monetary union. So I wonder kind of who's going to get first with some kind of uh, crypto fiat central bank issued token, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of different countries kind of getting started, but we haven't really seen anyone getting much further ahead than in some kind of pilot. I suppose once one country does something for real, then it quickly yeah. escalates on a European level and then, oh, we want to do it on a European level, which is sort of how most things um, go. E even like the VAT reeling that we discussed last week uh, with David that started in Sweden in a local court and went to the European Court of Justice and yeah. set the ruling. But I, I would assume it would go in a uh, similar way. But uh, Oliver, you had uh, maybe you have more insights on this. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm, I was actually at the European Central Bank, um, and they were discussing this like three years ago. Mm. And um, we, I was discussing it with them, and there was a funny story why they weren't going to build their own Bitcoin. Like, it got into a whole node thing, and um, but, but that's beside the point. They didn't really get it. They didn't get too much back then. But what was interesting is what Ludwig just said, basically, like. Um, uh, how do you have all of these um, independent sort of central banks uh, trying to say they can do a digital currency when you share one currency? Now, the ECB said something really interesting when I when I was there three years ago. They said, actually, they couldn't influence heavily um, some of these um, national central banks in the EU. So I, I don't know. They they all have different policies at the moment, I think. they're gonna And, and knowing the EU, they're really going to have to co-join those efforts. But I think in the latest, what we're seeing now with the pandemic and Corona um, may actually cause more of a push towards a digital currency, for yeah. sure. Um, and um, I, I think that will have to be, uh, if it's an ECB thing, they're going to have to take control of that somehow because you just can't have, the, you know, maybe you'll get superior technology from one central bank and then let's not mention any countries, but you might get an unsuperior technology there. And then, then you're going to have a lot of hackers coming there and D-Force is going to be like, remember what happened to us? That's even worse. Yeah. So, yeah. And then on a central bank level. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the way they've been implementing these is obviously that there are uh, reverse, uh, reversible transactions, unlike the currency, right? So it's distributed ledger technology as opposed to a truly decentralized cryptocurrency. And I, I certainly doubt that we would see anything like that being issued by a central bank or the European Central Bank. But I mean, even that's even so, like a, a major reversal of a lot of transactions will undermine the, the faith in the system. Like if, if you get hacked every couple of weeks, <laughs> no one's going to want to use that <laughs> system anyway. So they probably one of the reasons why it's going so slow is to want to make sure that there's no loopholes in the systems and so on. Like a couple of years ago, I was actually on a panel with somebody from the central bank. So years ago, they were, and, and he mentioned that they were already testing and were running their own, uh, I think at that point, uh, spin-off of a Bitcoin blockchain. And they were running their own models on that and trying it out in, in real life. So they, they have years of experience. And I recall us, uh, Ludwig, in, yeah. back in 2013, we were already talking to at least Xbank and the Swedish yeah. central bank. I'd say so, they're they're probably one of the gotten the furthest in the development so far. Um, tell it to China. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah. So <laughs> there are other people who uh, might you know go from this point to launching faster than Sweden, but I think you know Sweden kind of 
we're average. You know, we don't want to be too slow or too fast. We kind of take it at a steady Long pace. <laughs> I think I want to look through the um, the purchasing order that uh, the Riksbank made uh, last summer for a mm. pilot. I think they had like between five to seven years as a plan to launch a pilot. So they were probably looking at probably at least 10 years before anything would go live to the public if everything goes mm. as planned. So, you know, in crypto time, uh, that's, you know, <laughs> that's a lot of time. <laughs> but to be fair, as a government, that is not a completely unreasonable timeline. No, but no, everything no. in crypto, it is, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think that's uh, uh, the last section of the news. And then... We go to the interview. We've already introduced, pre-introduced Oliver uh, Note Orac, <laughs> the founder <laughs> of Chainvine, uh, blockchain and DLT expert. Uh, welcome once again, Oliver, to the show. Um, can you briefly explain to the listeners what, like, a how do you how you got into crypto um, or blockchain, and what Chainvine.com is, and what you're working on today? Yeah, sure. So um, I actually got in after the last market crash. Um, I don't know if anyone's going to get in after this one, um, but there you go. Um, and I, I studied um, a lot of decentralized process underneath Chinese economics in supply chain. So it was really interesting how they use decentralized process and administration throughout like supply chain. And they use these green zones and green economies to basically, not green economy per se, but green zones to boost economical gain. And at the same time, got into the technology that we use at Chainvine today, which is distributed ledger technology. We use a hybrid, we use a mash of different protocols and we use all of open, all of its open source. So we've got about nine different protocols now on the platform. The platform was designed five years ago to solve one flat problem really. And that was to take out um, fake fine wine. So mm -hmm. if anyone's ever seen the documentary Sour Grapes with really one of the best wine frauds in the world, Rudy Canarava, recommend you watch it. You probably get thirsty, but you're always going to look at your bottle of Bordeaux slightly differently. Um, but, you know, we went from that, the concept of using distributed ledger blockchain to, to make a, a very unique identity, in this case, unique certification around the wine, because it, I, I always found that the technology was very good for, for it's much better than paper, right? It's not a silver bullet but it's a lot better than paper. No matter what anyone says, the paper system is, is gone and it's just obsolete and rubbish. And um, I said that it's funny, I was at a, a talk with the, the OECD uh, in Paris a few months ago and there's always this one guy who goes, you know, we have the best paper certification for wine in Italy and you can take your blockchain and, and go somewhere and do things, which I won't mention. Um, but what I said to him was like, you can't fly a, an Italian around with every nice bottle of Italian wine. It just, it just doesn't make it um, price um, inclusive for everyone. And, and what I'm saying is this, I mean, what I see is with the technology and why ch what Chainvine does is we saw the technology for reducing the cost of trust, not replacing trust, just reducing the cost and thereby upping business margins. So we're an enterprise platform play, mainly in supply chain, value chain um, with coronavirus we pivoted some of our technology about six weeks ago, and we created what was like an I Ester. I don't know if anyone who's been to America, you, you filled in an Ester, right? Yeah. Funnily enough, the last time I went to America was to Vegas just, just last year to go to money 2020, and I was on my way to the airport, and I, just, I, I was like thinking I've forgotten something, and it's... It was to fill in my Esther, of course, um, which is great when you've got 24 hours notice period. But luckily, 
we managed to get to Diesta and I, I got to do Vegas, which was good for um, chain flight. But it made me think of something when the virus uh, began to really close down um, airports and the ability of people moving around. And I'm not the only companies had the idea or the only, only person in distributed ledger or blockchain, but it was used as technology in some sort of COVID passport, um, some sort of travel documentation where the individual is responsible for their medical documents, not the government. So it's a decentralized type of play because I actually think it's a no-brainer because of it's just adding on to what we already do these days. So we're already responsible for our tax returns as an individual. We're responsible for our health anyway as an individual. Because you go to the doctor, you've got to tell them what's wrong with you. You tell them a lie, he's not going to be able to treat you well. So the same with these type of travel documents. These should be put on the individual to have responsibility for. And then I was thinking if we can create some app and get these documents and then there's a clear trail so people can't cheat the system and upload fake documents or claim to have fake documents because of the idea is we get back to that individual quicker and say you know you're not traveling because you're not well or, or something like that and it was just an idea and, and from that idea we spun out like a whole solution from um, our existing intelligent line app and um, we've pitched that to a few governments and uh, we're beginning to get some airplay on it um, and it was just a way of pivoting tech into to what's going on now it's, it's not the whole answer to the solution or the problem mm. Um, but it was part of it. So, so when uh, I think you mentioned nine protocols, so there's uh, so first interesting on, on chain vine and the process of putting wine on the blockchain reminds me of of Everledger that we were in the TechStars cohort with, where they yeah. uh, they put the diamonds on on the ledger, and of course there these the underlying process is the uh, the Kimberly process where it gets marked and then it gets put on the blockchain. So there's still this process where you have the source information that needs to be reliable then it's put on the blockchain and that sort of timestamping on a blockchain needs to be uh, trusted right and that's the same i suppose for wine and equally so it's for uh, identity where the documents that validate the identity and for your medical record also needs to be um, uh, validated and verifiably uh, correct which i guess in, in the case with the uh, we are talking to with now would be then the government that stands by that validation. Yeah. Oh, that was a short answer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, if you look at the platform is based on like three pillars. So one was identity management, asset management and security management. So if you get the identity part right of everything, then you, you're more or less on the right track. But obviously if somebody comes in at that point and you know, it's, there's always the saying, and, and I, I, I guess Ludwig, you, you never stop hearing it when people say garbage in, garbage out. But that's yeah. a human condition. It's not a blockchain condition. It's always the humans who will screw things up in the end, not 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 technology. Technology says if you've got a process and you can do it right, it's this is extremely good technology. First to record the identity, then to manage the assets. So assets was our second pillar. The assets in this case are the medical papers. Hmm. So if, if we're talking about the use case of identity, it's of course a massive uh, use case and it's fundamentally important to anything that you want to do online and with even with interacting with crypto when you're sending crypto from one party to another. Um, but how, so how, and, and you have, when it comes to identity, there are many different companies trying to solution in the traditional uh, sector, like you have uh, Yoti, you have on Fido and, and so on, and you have on the crypto, even on the crypto side, you have quite a few companies mm -hmm. uh, like uh, Civic, uh, you have um, 
uh, what was the other company called? One name I think was uh, the original one that where you put identity on the blockchain. But there, there are a bunch of different parties that with their different solutions. I know in Civic's case, they started out with an Ethereum token uh, with their own app where you had to upload documentation. But then they, they, they the idea was to move to Rootstock uh, RSK uh, and to put it on the Bitcoin blockchain, which I think has not happened yet. What is the differentiation in what? what chain chain uh, vine is uh, offering yeah so i think this it's a process actually uh, driven way so we, we don't we don't actually give you an identity and we don't validate your identity what we're doing is managing aspects around your identity mm. and by managing those aspects through the technology we're saying that actually there's an immutable traceable proof of everything around you that can't be tampered with because we're not able to issue identities and that's what gets um governments and um, other kind of authorities really kind of uh, nervous because they're like no no that's our job to uh, um, give out identities not you <laughs> not you and uh, we tried that once before and it didn't work and and um i kind of get that um so the best thing is to do something that doesn't um uh, make them scared but um, actually makes it easier for them to um identify someone or let someone manage their identity so if you give someone the ability to manage their identity, that's really what the platform's doing again. Like we're giving the people to manage their physical assets like wine or, or um, fair trade goods or, or some special steel or something like that. Um, you, you've just created a process, right? And what you're saying is the process is very extremely solid um, and um, you, you move it along as you're managing it. Now, what's interesting with the wine actually is a couple of years ago, we were showing this wine like it moves around and we put some IoT on it and it was telling everyone its health, wealth and happiness. I, I took that from a Chinese fund. I like that. Brilliant. Um, and, and then what you can do is the same with a person, essentially, but they're going to verify and say where they are. It's, it's always got to be up to the person to say, here I am, here are my documents. And of course, at the more and more transparency you show yourself, the higher level you get and the more trusted you become with certain institutions. Like, um, I, I'm not sure if the... The airport scanners at Heathrow really do pick you up more times because I always get stopped, <laughs> even on the digital passport bit. It never works. Uh, I think it's a bit interesting to see kind of how the corona crisis has driven these kind of decentralized technologies. Uh, there was recently this announcement that both Apple and Google were working on this kind of key storage where you had on the mobile phone, you basically exchange keys whenever you go into a close to Bluetooth connection. And then you can, based on like what keys you have exchanged, you can basically uh, tell people that everyone who has been in contact with this public key, uh, you have, might have been exposed to corona. And that's like an interesting way of keeping integrity and privacy while also getting some value out of it, uh, if done correctly. So it's quite mm. interesting how people are seeing, you know, actually, we shouldn't do like other countries like China and so on that are basically like just spying straight away on, on uh, citizens. Instead, we should take the help of citizens and allow them to yeah. manage their own integrity, but also help collect and distribute data. I think it's, it's a quite interesting that those kind of technologies are starting to get mainstream use now. I think you, you raise a really good point because basically like if, if you're managing your own um, data and your own identity in this way, you're going to be, you're going to share more honest truth with whoever you want to because you're going to know who you're sharing it with and why you're sharing it if you're definitely being if you think you're being mined for data or you think someone's spying on you your activity is going to change to match that behavior right because if you're not going to be completely yourself when you think you're being monitored 
So that's just, it's kind of defeats the purpose of having constant monitoring on someone because if they're going to want to elude that at some point. It's a constant battle between the, the privacy and... Uh, uh, David David liked it. He finds it interesting. <laughs> and he gives a <laughs> glass of wine icon, which is great. <laughs> oh, on a school night. <laughs> on a school night, yes. On a Monday, <laughs> that is. Um, uh, so, I, I mean, identity um, uh, is... It's going to... Be, uh, it's always important to to do anything, uh, and, and and of course, crypto started with the the privacy concerns where um, you want to do things completely uh, anonymously. And over the years now, we've seen that regulatory requirements make that really hard. But there's still this hardcore group uh, that wants to interact with the real world. And actually, what you're describing now is a Bluetooth-based uh, solution where you can still have this pseudonymous interaction with someone while you're giving enough data away to you know, be able to do what you need to do to interact in a certain way, which, of yeah. course, you also want financially. Um, and so is that the future where we're going to see more and more applications and solutions that have this hybrid kind of uh, anonymity in it where you are in control of your data and by the virtue of that you you give just the right amount of data for the, the third party that you're interacting with to do what it needs to do and that's it yeah i think that is the way forward you you're going to have a hybrid one and i think you're going to see a definite separation of digital identities in certain jurisdictions for sure i i i think the eu is um and, and uk and um i think i don't know why they're still in um, they can, they can, you know, they can come up with this pretty quickly. I mean, we look at digital bank currencies. We've had that for years. It's called quantitative easing. Uh, we look at the management of identities. We've had that fill in your tax forms. Otherwise, we're going to fine you. Um, be honest to your doctor. Otherwise, you know, you're going to end up really sick. So this is kind of a no-brainer that we manage our own identity, um, and that's all you're doing. You're managing your own identity. You're not actually saying I'm here and therefore I am. So, so does that mean that the data, because then we're ultimately talking about where's the data, right? And, and you've seen solutions where data is encrypted on the blockchain itself. There are solutions where the data is encrypted still on a server, which can be centralized or decentralized. So how does it work with Chainvine? Uh, wh where does the data reside? With the uh, individual. Encrypt and, and then it, it gets sent to the the third party encrypted. So there's a it's an exchange protocol that that uh, that Chainvine yep. is enabling between its parties, yep. it's and an then it's registered on a, on a blockchain that 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 transaction yep. has taken place. Yeah, I want to be very clear. We, we don't want to manage that data, so um, we don't want ownership of that data in any any way or form. I think this is uh, actually it's probably for another discussion, but it goes into kind of Facebook talk. Um, <clears throat> So actually, Close we've used. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 we're, we're working very much on this. We've, the hybrid chain we were using was um, we were using um, one DLT for uh, basically um, the IoT device in this case, and then we were using um, Fabric uh, for intelligent contracts. And so, um, Fabric is that has uh, capabilities of reversibility, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's 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 um, uh, it, it is, but in this case, 
Can, can you have set? Uh, can you put in settings with Fabric where you don't have reversibility, so you can say because it's all ultimately about the immutability, uh, irreversibility of the transaction or the immutability of the of the ledger. That this is the timestamp where I share this this data to this third party, and if you can reverse that, then obviously you have problems with the the data. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, you, you're going to go in. We're going to go deep dive on the, the technical, but I don't know if that's a great idea. Because it's more literacy in mind, so I'm just spitballing here. <laughs> if you if you think about if you think about like the um, private ledgers, right? Because we're not going to be using an open um, blockchain for this, like um, you know, per se Bitcoin or Ethereum in this case. Because if, once again, any government will be like, no, 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 you're not using that to manage this stuff. Absolutely not. So you're looking at levels of uh, reversibility and the difficulty in doing that. And um, can an average Joe just walk in and go, oh, I can mess up that whole system? No, they mm -hmm. can't. They're going to have to be highly um, skilled and have some expertise. And, and they're, they're, at the moment, there aren't many of those people about. And, um, and um, yeah, that, that's really how we're looking at it. So it is, a, it is not um, an open blockchain. And it is um, very much a private one in this case. Do you guys use them kind of consortium setup of these people in the industry to kind of run these chains, or is it Chainwine currently running them? Or um... did, so we've done a couple there, Ludwig. So we had consortium, yeah. and then we've had Chainvine's own one, like on a on a wine app that we've done for vineyards. Because if some of the vineyards are so small, we've yeah. we've done a Chainvine one because if they can't, you know, they just don't get going into a consortium. Um, and, and they just don't get blockchain or AI and stuff like that. You just, they're just like, can you leave the vineyard now and take a bottle of wine with you and come back when you're sober? Uh, so, you know, it's, it's don't go too technical with them. But they do get the whole traceability issue, better technology of traceability. Um, can they tell the story of whether product or they're good? Can they identify it to their customer? So they like that bit. And if you stick to that bit, that's fine. The underlying, what's under the hood is what we do. And we use DLT and blockchain. And I also think on identity, guys, and, and traceability supply chain. The arguments moving away from what's under the hood to what does it do? Mm. But so you guys kind of take the technology you think fits best for the use case and the customer, and you kind of custom make the the platform for them. And if that's a wine you're, uh, you guys run the infrastructure, if it's some bigger companies, maybe they can run part yeah. of the infrastructure. Is that kind of how you guys so, set up these projects? So we so we've got one sort of main monster of a platform at the moment where many different um, actually solutions sit and they're basically just being tweaked so it's like a kind of platform you're just moving it along and stamping onto what you need is we've designed it a bit like lego if that makes sense mm. Mm. so so following that that train of thought then it's uh, about local system with some kind of control with local identity do you then still see a room for global identity because with social networking for instance we saw the network effects allow Google sort of to, to own sort of the login uh, checking uh, uh, box. And if they were to, for instance, uh, create an identity on the social network, you could have like a global idea with which you can um, uh, go into anything. Now, whether somebody would still want to do that with Facebook is a different, <laughs> different question. Yeah. But is there a way, because you're not talking about decentralized yeah. uh, technologies where you would imagine a global ID to be, uh, uh, be present on. So do you fundamentally don't believe that that will come about or that it's the possibility? I, 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 don't, I couldn't say today if there's going to be one global identity, but I could see how one could grow. 
like if you have nodes in different um, regions and everyone has their at least access to the data or knows that some of the data is stored in their territory mm. i think then you become then it gets really interesting because basically mm. you are creating a distributed decentralized system and then the more people that join it the more the merrier right so maybe you start with a small consortium and then you move others into the consortium whereby they then have their um copy of the node and, and the information this is where it gets pretty cool actually um mm. maybe you get you get 54 states of the us doing it that's my geography's gone bad now. Are they 54? <laughs> How many stars are there? 50, 51 on the flag, <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. <laughs> or 50, I don't know, maybe 51, they've been going. Right? Okay. I don't know. Well, I've, I've not done the US. I haven't played Monopoly in a while. And uh, that's that. Um, not, it's not Monopoly. It's, it's the other one, uh, Trivia. But no, I think um, if you go to the that, that system where you can have, have a more of a, 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 an identifiable Ident- identity that borders agree with. We already have this in banking in many ways, mm. right? So it, all of these things we're talking about aren't exactly um, change, ch- reinventing the world or changing anything. We're just saying, actually, could we bring them down to like the um, guy on the street level or later on the street and say, look, um, hey, do you want to manage your own identity and work out where all your data is going? So it's 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 a um, uh, a group of different consortiums that could bring about a bigger network in in your view that's that might yeah, be what global identity looks like and maybe that that global identity is then still category specific for instance medical global identity versus this identity um so, is that so I, definitely you think on, I think on like what we're looking at now with a pandemic like uh certainly on um you know given there's already like a lot of political kickback on china um, for not reporting figures and that, you could see like a kind of identity broken down to countries that say, okay, we're only allowing these people to travel through in the case of pandemic because we can trust that data, right? So I think you won't, I, the word global is still very big, even though it's quite a small world, if you like, but to include some countries in a global identity, I don't think is um, in any way possible at the moment, purely because of the way they report data or don't report data. Um, it would be impossible. And it's the transparency of the countries. You maybe have an index, like where does your global ID come from? Who issues it? And 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 then they say, you need manual with that anyway, or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there might be that. I think it's interesting to think about kind of this, like a swift of ID, basically like some kind of a protocol that's global. You don't necessarily trust everyone in the system, but you can yourself as a country or as a government decide, you know, what checks you need to have. And as long as everyone speaks the same protocol, at least, you know, maybe the EU now trusts the UK, even though they're not the same union anymore, maybe. Uh, We'll see. And then maybe, you know, you can still approve you know, IDs issued in the UK, digitally, mm. and so on. As long as you all speak the same protocol, maybe we can still somehow kind of some interwoven uh, global ID. So I think now I came up with a name. I think NetKey is trying to to do that, if I'm not mistaken. They have a protocol for, for identity. And they are, they've also been pretty fundamental in, in looking at things like FATF regulation and the travel rule and how to implement that on a protocol level. But then the question is, if it's going to be a commercial company doing that, or is it still going to be a public protocol, like let's say Civic, um, uh, that actually brings about the the standard for the market? What what do you guys think about which is it going to be a commercial company, or is it going to be a government or a supported protocol, or is it going to be an open source protocol like uh, a cryptocurrency? 
Um, I think it depends yeah. on kind of what level you see it. I think, you know, you're talking about social media and so on, and that's kind of one level of ID, right? If someone verifies with Facebook, you might trust them a bit, you know, at least they have a Facebook account, but you wouldn't, you know, lend money to them digitally, for example. Uh, mm. While my, maybe if you have a government issued ID and you have a from several different countries where you verified it or for several banks and so on, you know, it's all about kind of the level of trust. And I think, you know, these open source projects and private initiatives, they can maybe hit that first level where it's like, okay, at least you might, might be a person because you have a lot of friends on Facebook and you have these kind of social media connections and so on. But it's hard to get that real level of trust uh, where you can kind of the transactional cost of, of, cutting that identity is quite high. For that, I think you almost need a government uh, body to get behind it. But that's the underlying data. But what about the protocol, right? Because, you, of course, any protocol like Yoti, for instance, is a commercial company, can, and Facebook is a commercial company, can still use underlying government data that you rely on. But the protocol and who owns the social graph that is the EID, yeah. um, who's, who's that going to be? Or actually how you communicate between parties. Yeah, I think that's more difficult. I mean, it also depends on, you know, right now we have, for example, bank, bank ID in Sweden, but it's quite mm -hmm. closed. You couldn't just connect a civic to it or something like that in an easy way. You would still need a trusted third party to kind of translate this protocol to that well, protocol. Mm. Um, well, I think if you think about banking, what you might see is um, in the future is actually identity licenses. So um, companies willing to work with the identity and there, like you say, are a lot of them and it's important. Um, are actually issued with with some kind of um, uh, you know whoever's watching them. I suppose we have the central bank that watches our banks here and uh, issues banking licenses. But there may be um, a government who can um, says actually we'd rather leave this in private sector hands and uh, let the private companies um, issue it. But they they're government bona fide. You know they've got the government stamp on them and they're responsible. So I, I really see that happening. And, and this happens across industries. You know only you can't just uh, start an airline tomorrow and start flying across Europe. Um, but, you know, some people just don't want you flying through their air. So, and, so then uh, maybe we, we can move to the potential. So what do you see is then, like, what are the most, uh, what kind of use cases are going to be unlocked when you have solved the identity piece in, in, in the right way, whatever the right way is, which we're leaving in the middle now? Express Traveler, you think about, um, so I've been doing a lot of traveling since, you know, for chain for the last few years. And, you know, you have all of these different places where you need like uh, an Esther, for example, and different kind of visas and stuff like this. And if you had like one stop shop where your digital identity could just sort of hook into all your travel arrangements and go, bang, you, you know, we're taking care of the visa for you and everything. I mean, I, I, I had a funny story with China. I, I don't know if you guys ever noticed my left hand, but I when do. I went to China last year and yeah. uh, they were like, um, you know, you need to give me more fingers. And I was like, I don't have any more fingers. And they're like, no, you give me more fingers. And I'm like, I've only got eight. And it's a lucky number in China. Please let me in. Um, but it was... <laughs> and it's something that worked. Eight, that's, that's brilliant. So how did that how did it end up? You're, you're like at the scanner that you need to... They want to have yeah. all of your fingers on both hands. And then if you're... Yeah, yeah. How, that's a very practical issue. How does it work out? Well, how did that work out for you? It, it, after about half an hour, I was allowed through Hong Kong into mainland, but, you know, I, we took two different people and they weren't happy about it because they were like, this was not in the in the computer program, right? No, it's not in and, the protocol. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you see there with, like, human interference, it, yeah. it, even when, when they can see that there are no more, it, the confusion for the human, because they're following the strict manual, 
He's like, mm. I can't let this guy in because even though I could see he doesn't have to oh, full 10 digits, I need 10 digits. <laughs> and uh, it just doesn't make sense. And that's not a computer doing it. That's another person doing it. So, I mean, I see great, great potential for um, travel companies or even airlines saying, like, let us help you with your travel identity in the future as an extra service. Mm. But Vic, what kind of use cases uh, pop to, pop, uh, come to mind, pop your head when you uh, think about it? I mean, I think it's quite interesting to look at kind of the developing world as well, where there usually aren't any strong institutions who can issue IDs, mm. where maybe something like, you know, a combination of social media and, and like friend approval of your ID and so on can be maybe be stronger than, than some mm. governmental issued IDs um, on the international level, where you don't have access to a lot of services, particularly financial products and so on that have a quite uh, high fraud sensitivity, let's say. Um, and I think that's interesting to kind of see how that might develop, where you can get these kind of uh, people who become global citizens, who kind of jump over the physical citizen, so to speak, so to say, and become digital citizens straight away, um, and can interact that way instead. So why Jack Dorsey is spending the year in uh, in Africa right now to figure all of these things out. He's a big Bitcoin proponent as well with Square, but I mean. That, for me, that comes down to uh, the earliest days to think about the billions of people that are underbanked and unbanked. And yeah. the only way for them to be able to get like loans, microloans, is to be able to, to tie an identity to that person. Otherwise, they will never get it. Um, so, yeah, it's, not, it's a, the developing world. Uh, and uh, even in the developed world, you have a lot of people who are like left out of the banking system, and yeah. then they need to have some kind of form of identity to, tied to it in order to 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 be able to interact with the global system. Um, and there was one more yeah. story, Frank. Sorry, just quickly jump in because we're we're in living in COVID the, the times. fingers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I don't know if you guys heard the story about in the U.S. when every U.S. person got a check for two thousand five hundred dollars or something, and everyone's going to bank cash checks. With, yeah, 1200 sorry. Well, I, yeah. I was thinking double. So. But, um, I mean, they had to take a physical check into the bank and completely go against the purpose of staying at home. And, I mean, th there, if you had, like, a digital identity and stuff, you could immediately download that to somebody's phone or whatever, and they could yeah. spend it wherever they want, you know, well, locally or whatever on the thing. So I think that's that's interesting. Yeah, what you see in the U.S. with the payday loans is people start with a credit card debt and the, the bills rack, rack up and – Typically, they need, for instance, their their car uh, to get to to their work. So, and, and and you start seeing this snowball effect because the for the payday loans, they also need to pay it off every week or every month or so. So they end up starting to having to drive down to different places to start paying things off. You get into this loop of debt, um, and of course, here exactly what you're describing as well. You you you're in the middle of a coronavirus, and then suddenly you need to leave your house just to collect your check. Um, but it's, yeah. it's a, in the end, it does, you know, for me, it comes back to the governments and the financial institutions uh, and whether they make it possible for those people to to actually do it in a different way. Because wherever you are in the world right now, a large chunk, okay, maybe not smartphones, but they have the phones and the capacity to have money on their phones and, and to be able to, to interact on it. It's just a matter of do the institutions actually accept it. Right. And I guess that's the problem where you, a guy like George, uh, Jack Dorsey going there probably is to try to see how can you address that in a, mm. in a good way. But I'll make a note for for anyone uh, watching this. If you have questions, please uh, leave them in the, uh, in the chat and we'll, we'll uh, fire it.
share them uh, on the screen and fire them to uh, Oliver. Um, so then, are, maybe last question because we're running out of time. Um, are there any pitfalls or like things that we you know you're you're wor you are worried about when you're implementing these kind of technologies and you're working with uh, um, the governments that you're you're in uh, in uh, discussion and working with? Um, I, I suppose you know the the biggest you know we talk about ECB and um, we we were talking earlier on about um, reverse of transactions and I, I always like to call it the Cyprian haircut um, when somebody said you know why do you get into Bitcoin because these people can just hack you and take your cryptocurrency and I'm like well you know have you um, not heard of Cyprus where a central bank can come in and just take your money and um, I said that's really bad because if that's really bad because they froze the euro in one country and that's economically un impossible. So yeah, I mean, the governments aren't always um, um, completely um, straight with um, how, to, how to do things. And I think, you know, that, that, that what happened in Cyprus and Greece is a real good example of that to hedge your bets. So I would say to anyone actually, okay, yeah, if your central bank has digital currency, well, you know, there's nothing like hedging, having, having a couple of um, independent uh, coins on the side. Bit one, maybe. You heard it here first. Oliver is still a crypto anarchist at heart. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Oliver. Um, so I Welcome. think that that concludes it for today. Maybe do you have any parting words for the viewers, listeners? Anything you're working on that you would like to 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 mention? Through me. Yeah, you. <laughs> yes. oh, sorry, I thought you were talking to Ludwig there. <laughs> no, well, Ludwig, I, well, no, yeah. I, I suppose your first idea is always your, your best idea and um, the, the work we've been doing with wine is getting more and more interesting. We've actually been working with government to actually start eradicating all of the paperwork around the imports and exports. And this is this has been something going on for two years. It's a massive project and, and it's just, well, kind of when you talk to people about it and how it started from a simple concept of intelligent wine, just moving a bottle of wine around, telling you where it was, who it was with, how it was feeling. Um, mm to all the agencies now that want to plug in to basically this stream of data that we're managing. Uh, and then it's pretty cool. And um, we, we will probably see something in the press um, within the next couple of months on that. And yeah, that, that's something we, you know, we started with wine, we'll probably end with wine on a beach somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great parting thought. Okay, let's um, have a quick, uh, quick look at who our guests are. We thank Oliver very much for being here today. Next week, we will have Charles from Opera. He's heading the crypto efforts there. Uh, so we're we'll, looking really forward to that conversation with Charles to see what they're doing behind the scenes at Opera and how they're thinking about crypto and the future of crypto. So tune in uh, next week. Once again, thanks Oliver uh, Ludwig and uh, of course Matt on the technicals and see you next week. <laughs>